We're going to be studying from 1 John 4, and I'd love for you to join me there. We will uh, look at a few of those verses that Chad read for us just a few minutes ago. I posted something on Facebook this week. If you do Facebook, you follow me. Um, you may have seen it, this one of the impact statements from one of the young women who were molested by Dr. Nasser. I'm sure you've seen some of the coverage of that. It's been heartbreaking on so many levels. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, just an awful thing. It's an awful thing. But this one testimony I thought was, was a beautiful thing. It was... It was hurtful, it was heartbreaking, but at the same time, beautiful. The young lady, Rachel Denhollander, was her name. And a particular part of her testimony where she started addressing Dr. Nasser directly. And, and go back and look. If you haven't seen it, you know, go, go, back, and, go back and watch it. I think, I think it'd be worth your time. But there's one particular part of it where she extends forgiveness to him. You know... No idea. I have no idea what that would be like, you know, to be in her situation, to have experienced that. So, so can only imagine. But, you know, she gets to a point where she extends forgiveness. You can see the hurt in her. You know, you can see the pain in her still. But she extends to Dr. Nasser forgiveness. And, and she, she had directs it to the gospel. She, she talks about what God has done. And, and, and she quotes C.S. Lewis, if, if you've seen this part, you know, she, she talks about how that she has learned over time to experience true intimacy, that she's, God has helped her to get past the hurt and the pain, and he's enabled her to experience true intimacy with her husband. She quotes C.S. Lewis, and she, she says this, this pretty off-quoted line from Lewis, about, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm able to know what is crooked because I know what is straight. If I didn't have an idea of straight, then I wouldn't be able to tell what was crooked. And she goes on and she explores that a little bit. And, and, and I think it's a fascinating thing because she's saying to him that because she's been able to experience true love from God, that she is now able to extend forgiveness to someone who has done what he has done. We're, we're talking about love God, love people this year, you know. We're talking about, that's, I mean, that's simple. It's easily understandable. I don't think we have any doubt about what that means. Love God, love, love people. And through that, God uses us to change the world that he created. But, you know, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. I God is not hard to love, but God, it's sometimes hard for us to love God the way he deserves to be loved because we're selfish, we're self-centered. We've got all these distractions, all these things pulling at us, and sometimes it's hard to love God the right way. Again, not because of any fault or any shortcoming in him, but because of who we are. Sometimes it's hard to love people, you know? Sometimes it's hard to love people who are close to us, not because necessarily of any shortcomings in them, but because of the shortcomings in us, because we ourselves project onto other people our own faults and shortcomings. 
Sometimes it is hard to love people because they're not very lovable. A lot of people in the world, just I mean, let's be frank and honest, aren't that lovable. There's some mean people in the world. There's some bad people in the world. There are people who've hurt you. It's hard for you to love them because of what they've done to you. You know, it's hard. So love God, love people. Easy to say, maybe a little bit harder to practice. You know, how do we do it? The answer is in the gospel, of course. I think that's the answer to most of the questions that we ask. And I want to look at John's expression of that in 1 John 4. And what we're going to do is I want us to think about three things. Okay, three things. And the, and the first one is that the first part of our couple of paragraphs that we're going to look at is in verses 7 and 8. I want you to notice this, if you, if you would, where John just expresses this. He comes to the end of it. We're going to, really, we're going to focus most of our time on the third aspect of this. But I want you to see the foundation here. And you do need to look at your Bible. I'd love for you to explore it with me. Your own Bible, Bible on your phone or tablet or Bible. It's in the back of the pew in front of you. You should be able to access one. First John 4, look what he says in verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. A couple of expressions I want you to notice here. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If you love, if you love, you have been born of God and know God. Love is from God. Then he says in verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God, does not know God for God is love. Love is from God, and God is love, and anybody who loves has been born of God. John in his talking about love, and this whole section is about loving people for the most part, specifically loving your brothers and sisters. But we're going to explore that later this year. I really want to get at another emphasis that he explores here in this text, and that is, what's the motivation for us? How do we love God? How do we love anyone? How do we love people? And he says here at the beginning of this, he starts out by laying this foundation. Love is from God. You cannot love God. You cannot love people unless you get that love from him. That is his ultimate source. And you cannot, you simply cannot do it otherwise. And then he says, the very nature of God is love. Now, God has a lot of attributes. We've talked about this before. He got these attributes that are inherent to his nature. Um, and, and a lot of things that God does, a, a lot of things that he, a lot of ways that he acts in the world. God experiences what, what the Bible calls anger. You know, I, I don't think it's like what we know of in a human sense, this anger, but God certainly experiences wrath. We talk about the wrath of God, but God is not wrath. The Bible never says that God is anger or that God is wrath. It doesn't define his nature like that. A lot of attributes of God, a lot of things that God does. But it's interesting that when the Bible chooses to describe God, one of the most, one of the most obvious, one of the clearest is what he does, what John does here. And that is, here's what his very nature is. God cannot be understood apart from your understanding him to be the very expression of love, the very image of love. Love is from God, and God is love. Now, look at this second idea. It really comes through in a lot of verses here. 1 John 4, again, are you with me? 1 John 4, how do you know the love of God? Love is kind of abstract. I don't know how you, how do you picture love? You know, how do you draw love? How do you define it? Love is an abstract thing. It's, it's not something tangible. You can't, you can't reach out and touch it. You can't see it. Not really. You can't see something abstract, something like that. 
So when, when the Bible talks about the love of God, it doesn't do so in an abstract kind of way. I mean, it does sometimes, but it doesn't stop there. So you, you think about God is love and love is from God, and you think, well, that makes sense to me. I understand that on some level. It's, it's kind of abstract, but I understand that God is love. That's his very nature. But I have a hard time understanding exactly what that means. You know, what does that look like? I want something that my human, my finite mind can understand. So what John does in our text is he goes through this and he says, okay, I know you don't really understand God is love because that's abstract. Let me show it to you. Let me, let me, let me help you to see what that means. And so he goes on. Look in verse 9. So he's just said love is from God. He's just said that God is love. And then he follows it by saying this. Okay, so you want to know, you want to know what that is, verse, verse 9. In this, okay, we're going to talk about the love of God. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was made clear. It was, it was pictured. It was portrayed. It was embodied. Okay, so this abstract idea, love is from God, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. I mean, you know where this is going, right? This is where you see it, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. John goes on. I really want you guys, it's almost like he's saying to this, to this church, I really want you guys to see the love of God. And so he kind of repeats himself. In this, the love of God, verse 9, was made manifest. And then in verse 10, he says it again. In this is love. Not that we have loved God but that he loved us. How do we know that, John? And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his son. Paul talks about this in Romans 3, 21 through 26. He, he talks about God, that Jesus Christ was the propitiation that in some sense, I don't know exactly how this works ultimately, but in some sense, God's judicial wrath was poured out not on us who deserved it, but on Jesus who didn't deserve it. And so he took, the, he took punishment that we deserved. He took the wrath of God that was poured out in a judicial sense against all that is not God, all that is unlovable, all that, is, all that God hates, that Jesus stepped in and took that on himself. And so the sun refused to shine. The earthquake came when Jesus was dying on the cross. Jesus bore the brunt. He took it. How do we know God loves us? We go to the cross. It's what John says. We, we go back there and we, we look into the eyes of a 33, 34-year-old young Jewish man and we see something in those eyes. We see love. We, we hear his cries, we feel his pain, we see his sweat, we see the blood, and we realize that that act, that we celebrated in communion a minute ago, that that act, though we cannot, our finite minds cannot fully grasp the infinite implications of what it means, we struggle and we grasp and we get a glimpse of what it means and we sense there that something special is going on, that unlovable beings are being loved by a loving and infinite God. And we are humbled when we go to the foot of the cross and we realize that that man, that God-man, is hanging there in my place and in your place. You want to know what love looks like? In this, the love of God 
was made manifest. In this, the love of God. This is what it looks like, John says. You go to the cross. John's going to make a point from this, but I just want you to hang on for a second and see how much he emphasizes this. Look at the very next verse. Beloved. I mean, he's pleading with these people. Beloved, if God so loved us. That word so is a little word in English, but such a powerful adverb. If God so loved us. It's got to remind you John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. Some translations put it, for God loved the world this much. This is how much he loved us, that God gave his only begotten son. John says, in this is love, or this the love of God was made a manifest, verse 9 and verse 10, in this is love. And then he says it again, verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us. Three times, in three verses, he says, you want to know what it means for God to love? You want to, you know what it, you want to know what it means for God to be love? He sent his son. He sent his son. This is how much God loves us. So we also ought to love one another. Again, we're going to talk about that, but not today. We're going to talk about the loving one another part more specifically, but not today. Skip down to verse 14, if you would, and you can go all over the New Testament with this. I ran a just kind of a concordance or a thematic study this week of this theme. And I realized I don't need to go out of sight of 1 John. I mean, you can, go, you can go to a lot of places and this kind of emphasis will be all over the place. But here it is again and again here. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And John is speaking, this is the Apostle John. He's speaking from personal experience. He was there, you know. He spent three, three and a half years with Jesus and he was there and Jesus spoke to him from the cross. Jesus was some, or John was some there within, within hearing of Jesus when Jesus was hanging on the cross and Jesus said, John, you know, behold your mother. Behold your son. John was there and John says, I can tell you I was there. I have seen and I can testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. I, in, in, um, the very first part of this, of this letter, he says, I love this language, 1 John 1, the very first part of this, he says, that which from, what was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which you have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, this life was made manifest and we've seen, seen it and we testify of it. John is saying, man, I've been there. I touched him. I saw him. I beheld him. I know, and I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you folks the truth. God sent his son. You want to know why you ought to love people? Because you've been loved by him. And I can tell you it's true, John says. One more, two verses down, verse 16. So we have come to know. Do you see, you hear the repetition? We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God's love is seen in that he sent Jesus. All right, so what? What does it mean? You get, you get to the end of this, and near the end of it, verse, verse 19, short verse, right? Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. 
We love because he first loved us. How, how, how do we love then? You ever wonder that? How, how do I love God the way he deserves to be loved? How do I love the people around me that I don't love very well? How do I love my enemies? How do I love the people who don't deserve to be loved? How do I love the people who are unlovable? For, for that matter, how do I love the people who are lovable? How do I love my spouse? How do I love my kids the way they deserve to be loved? How do I love my parents, my siblings? How do we love? We only love to the extent that we have experienced the love of God. We only love to the extent that we have felt and we have experienced and we have realized and we have fully embraced the unconditional love that God has for us. You know, the, the Bible talks about this a lot, as you might expect. Um, did you know God doesn't love you because you're particularly lovable? Did you know that? It's a true fact. I, I suspect you already know that, though. God doesn't love you and me because we're any better than anybody else. And if any of us walked in here with a mistaken notion that we have somehow gotten ourselves to a place where, okay, now we're, we're a little bit, we, we, we deserve it a little bit. You know, we're, we're lovable by God. We're at least, at least a little bit more so than him. A little bit more so than, than, than that person. The Bible talks about this a lot, in fact. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. I, I love this. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about, you ever wondered, why did God choose Israel? I mean, the Old Testament is all, all about God's selection of Israel, the elect of God, Israel, God's people, and God was patient with them and long-suffering with them. But Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, let me paraphrase it for you. God says to Israel, I didn't love you, you guys because you, you were particularly lovable. I think sometimes they thought that. I mean, we all think that sometimes. I think sometimes we Americans think we're a little bit more lovable than other, than other nationalities. Because we got, you know, I mean, look at our country. We're proud of it. Democracy, freedom, prosperity. Surely, I mean, maybe not that much, but God loves us a little bit more than he does the communists, right? Just a little bit, a little bit more. God says to Israel, I didn't love you because you did anything special or because you were a little bit more lovable. I loved you because of me. I loved you because of God loves, God loves Israel because of who's in, because of who's doing the loving. Let me read it, part of it. He was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples because you had done particularly well. It is because the Lord loves you. Do, do, do you hear that? Why does the Lord love you? It is because he loves you. That seems to be what, what Moses is saying here. It was not because you were more in number that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. It's because the Lord loves you. Why does the Lord love you? Because the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you because God is love. That's why he loves you. Because that's his nature to love. Listen to this. 
may be a little more familiar. Romans 5, 8 through 10. For God shows, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. You can finish that, can't you? Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. It's, it's, so, it's so important for us to realize this because our love, at least we're tempted to love like this. We're tempted to love with some strings attached, you know? I love you as long as. We do this with spouses, we do this with kids, we do this with siblings, we do it with friends, and certainly we do it with people in the world. We do it with people in the church. I'll love you as long as you act a certain way. As long as you do it like this, as long as you don't do that, I'll love you. God committed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen to Ephesians 2, one of my favorite passages anywhere. I mean, Ephesians 2. You need to spend some time in Ephesians 2. Let me read a couple of verses. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. He goes on and he says, you know, you walked in them following the course of this world. We all were there. We all lived there, he says, fulfilling the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath and like the rest of mankind. And he goes on, we were in rebellion to God. We were doing what we wanted to do, fulfilling our passions, our lusts, our desires. We were, doing, we were doing what we wanted. Two of the prettiest words in the Bible are found in Ephesians 2, 4. You know what they are? But God. But God. You were dead. You were doing this. You were doing that. You were living out your desires, your passions. But God. Because, listen to this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, not of works, lest anybody should boast. And he goes on, a beautiful text. But, but listen to what he says. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were fulfilling your own desires, lusts, and ambitions. But God, because of what? Because he is rich in mercy, because God is love, and because God is full of grace. God stepped in and said, I'm going to love you. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to love you. Titus 2, Titus 3 rather, verse 3. For we ourselves, listen to this pattern. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. One more text, okay? 2 Corinthians 5. And we'll finish. For 2 Corinthians 5, listen to this. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. Listen to this, please, because this ties 1 John 4 together with this overall theme of Scripture. He died for all. Why? Why did he die for all? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. How do you love? How do you love God? 
You can only love God when you really, truly appreciate the fact that he loves you. There's not a thing you can do to love to make God love you more. There's not a thing you can do to make God love you any less. When you realize you are loved unconditionally, that you are loved desperately, you are loved completely, you are loved when you don't deserve it, when we experience that, when we really believe that, I don't mean just in the intellectual sense, because I think, I'm guessing, I think probably most of you agree with what I'm saying right now. So intellectually, you're already there. We're all on the same page. Okay, yeah, I get it. God loves me. He loves us. There's something different, though, between an intellectual kind of, an intellectual, intellectual kind of grasp and an experiential thing. So somehow you have to get from an intellect, I think it starts often with the intellect, but it's got to involve the heart, the emotions, the experience. When you truly, not only intellectually believe, but you have experience and you really with every fiber of your being, not just your intellect, but with your emotions, your heart, your, your will, everything that you are, when you truly have experienced the love of God, it frees you to love Him. And it opens you up to love other people. And then you stop loving with strings. It's not, I love you if you do this. It's not, I love you if you don't do that thing. It's not, I love you if you act like this, if you look like this, or whatever. It's, you love. Did you notice that the very first part of 1 John 4, 19, I guess in my mind, I don't know, this jumped out at me this week, I had... I had put an extra word in there, and I think the word I had in my mind was, we love him because he first loved us. Or maybe we love them because he first loved, loved us. But what does it say? Do you notice in 1 John 4, 19, what does it say? There's no object there. We love. We love. We love God. We love family. We love the church. We love our enemies. We love people who hate us. We love the unlovable. How? Because he first loved us. Because we've experienced that love. And it goes back to the cross. You know, the answer to so many of our questions is the gospel. You know, go back to that story I started with a few minutes ago, Rachel Denhollander and her words to Larry Nasser. How can, how can she do that? You know, how can she do that? You've seen other, express, other kind of responses this week. Did you see, did you see the YouTube video of the father who dove at Larry Nasser, tried to get to him this week? Did you see that? I'll be honest, there there are times I can, I can relate to that a little bit more than the forgiveness part, you know? There, there are times where you, you want to you get to somebody, and I, and, and I, I certainly am not trying to blame that father who, who wouldn't feel at least what he felt in trying to get to Dr. Nasser. But I want to think that the gospel, I believe the gospel is more fully expressed 
is more fully realized when you extend to someone something he or she doesn't deserve. Because that's what we got. That's what we got. And God says we love, you love, because God first loved you. So our challenge is to really, really believe what is already true. And that is that God has loved us and he continues to love us and he will always love us. And when we truly experience that, it will free us up to love as we've never loved before. If you're not a Christian this morning, the love we've been talking about is yours. God already loves you. And if you come forward today to be baptized, God's not going to love you anymore. He's not going to love you anymore than he does right now. He already loves you. He already loves you. But God wants what's best for you. And he wants you to come and to put your faith and trust in him. He wants you to be baptized. He wants, you to, he wants to wash all your sins away. He wants to bless you with a life that he created you to live. He wants that for you. He wants you to experience true love with all of its attendant blessings. And we invite you today to make that kind of confession, to come to be a Christian, a child of God's today. We would love to experience that with you, to help you as you obey him. Maybe you've already done that. Most of you have. You've already, you've already expressed your trust in Jesus Christ and baptism. But maybe today you realize, you know, I really haven't believed it, not fully. I guess that's all of us, right? We, we haven't always believed it. But maybe you need to ask for prayers. You need to come back. Maybe it's something you take care of between you and the Lord. Just ask God to help you love. Help. I think that's the wrong thing. Ask God to help you know his love. And then the love for others will follow. If you need to respond to the invitation, I hope you'll come. Let's stand and sing.